1 Corinthians 16, and we're going to look at Paul's final instructions to the Corinthians. And what we're going to see within 1 Corinthians 16 today, what we're going to see is this. We're going to see what makes for a healthy, growing church. And this, these are Paul's instructions to the Corinthians, but he, they're also his instructions to us. Why? Because all Scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching uh, for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness that the men and women of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so even though it was written in the first century, the instructions for the church for Corinth are good instructions for us in the 21st century. The scripture is God-breathed. It's profitable for all ages. And so as we go through this 1 Corinthians 16, listen, this is gonna be an opportunity for us to learn more from the pen of the Apostle Paul on how we could be a healthy, growing, and strong church. And there's gonna be eight ingredients in here that Paul's kind of pointing to, to the Corinthians, that's gonna make for a great, strong, healthy, growing church. And that's what God wants us to be. Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, right? But we got a part to play. We need to be the church and the bride and the body of Christ that Jesus wants us to be. And we're gonna learn some things in this chapter that will point us to be the kind of church that God's called us to be. So let's, let's get into it, church. 1 Corinthians 16, are you there? If you're not there, get there. And we go verse by verse through the Bible on Sunday mornings here at Calvary Chapel. So jump right in. Chapter 16, verse one. Now concerning the collection for the saints, so I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper, so that collections may be made when I come. And when I arrive, whomever you may approve, I will send them with the letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem. And if it is fitting for me to go also, they will go with me. Now, the first thing I want you to see here, Paul is doing a collection, an offering, for, uh, among all the churches on his third missionary journey. Why is he doing that? Because there was a collection for the Jewish church in Jerusalem that was broke. We know from church history that the church in Jerusalem became a mega church, but then it went into a state of poverty. Interesting. Why? Well, one of the reasons why it went into a state of poverty and poorness was that there was people on the day of Pentecost that came from all over the Roman Empire. And when the day of Pentecost hit, they were there to celebrate the feast. But then Peter preached that great sermon in Acts chapter 2. And the church went from 120 people to 3,120 people in one day. Can you imagine? And then they baptized all 3,000 new believers. I, I bet you Peter took a real good nap that, or sleep that night after baptizing 3,000 believers. But then what happened was many of those people who came to faith in Christ decided to stay in Jerusalem. And these people had left homes and jobs and families. And oftentimes in that culture too, if you move from Judaism to being now a follower of Christ, those family members would disown you. And so they just stayed in Jerusalem, and then they started a communal kind of situation. We know that from the book of Acts, where they, they started uh, supporting all these people that had moved there, the 3,000 plus people, but then people were selling land and homes to support all these 3,000 plus people. And then we know from Acts chapter 4, the church grew then to over 5,000 people, became the first mega church, really. But then we also know a famine hit that area. We know from Acts chapter 11, verses 27 and 30, it says this. Now at this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus, prophet Agabus, stood up and began to indicate by the Spirit that there would certainly be a great famine all over the world. And this took place in the reign of Claudius. 
Roman Emperor Claudius. And the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each one determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea. Why? Because the church went poor. And this they did, sending it in charge of Barnabas and Saul to the elders. Now that's the offering that Paul's talking about taking up. Interesting, because it was an offering from the Gentile churches on the third missionary journey, and it was given to Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. That's interesting, because from the book of Acts, we know the Jewish Christians had a problem with some of these Gentile Christians. They actually had to have a council in Jerusalem to even accept them into the church. But now these Gentile Christians are the one that's providing for the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. And Paul saw this as a great opportunity to bridge the gap between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians as Gentile Christians blessed the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. Now, another thing I want you to see here, very good, is when did they take up the offerings for the church in Jerusalem. Go back to chapter 16, verse one. The first day of the week, which in that culture was when? Sunday. I want you to see that, because the early church made a major transition after thousands of years of uh, Jews worshiping on Saturday, the Sabbath, they transitioned their day of worship to being Sunday, why? Because that's the day that Jesus Christ did what? rose from the grave. And that's the day they wanted to worship Jesus now because this is the day of his resurrection. So on the first day of the week, they would meet for worship, then they'd take offerings. And notice how they take offerings. As the church and the people in the churches, God provided and prospered, then they said, save some of that and bring it back on the first day on Sunday when you worship and give it, give it in the offering. Similar to what we're told in Malachi 3.10. We're told in Malachi 3.10, bring your whole tithe to the storehouse, which was the temple place of worship. And then it says, test me in this and see if I won't open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing on you for doing that. It's a principle of tithing and giving. And I think it's a biblical principle for us today. And let me tell you something, church. There's a, there's a principle there that God says, test me. Test me and bring your first fruits, your tithe to my storehouse, to my temple where you worship, and give it back. And as you give it, see if I don't open the windows of heaven and bless you for doing that. Jesus put it this way. Give, and it'll be given to you. Pressed down, good measure, overflowing in your lap. And there's a principle there, a spiritual law that states if you're faithful in giving, God will supernaturally provide for you and bless you for doing that. Now, here at Calvary Chapel, we very rarely talk about giving. You know why? One of our first tenets on our We Believe Law, actually the very first one, says what? Where God guides, God provides. We're never going to harangue you about giving. We're never going to give 20-minute little sermonettes before the offering and saying, hey, if you don't give this Sunday, next Sunday the lights will be off. You know, if you don't give, no, we don't believe that. We believe that God's not poor. God will provide. Where God guides, God provides. But we also teach Scripture verse by verse, and when we get to a section of Scripture that talks about giving, we're going to teach it. We're not going to delete it. We're going to talk about it. And here's the first principle for a healthy church. A healthy, growing church will have a group of people that are willing to be obedient to what God's word says, and that's give the first fruits of what God blesses to the kingdom of God through their giving. It's a very important principle. Heidi and I have been doing this since our first year of marriage. We've been married 32 years now. And from the very beginning of our days of being a part of a church and pastoring a church, we've always brought the whole tide to the storehouse where we worship at, and God has abundantly blessed us and taken care of us and provided 
over and over again for us. Even after three church plants, he always provided for us because we did what it says here. We tested God. It's the only place in Scripture, Malachi 3.10, that says, test me. It's almost like God saying, just test me and give your first fruits back to God and see if I don't bless you for doing it. We've always done it. We'll always do it. We will never stop tithing because we've seen God's blessing in response to their giving. And this is the first thing that makes a church healthy and strong, by the way. It's a church full of people that are givers and love to give, and love to give the first fruits back to God. It's the natural knee-jerk response to walking with Christ is you move from the camp of being a taker, and then Christ serves you, and his death on the cross pays for your sins, and then you want to move from the camp to being a giver. Because Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. Amen? You know, and God says, test me. And if you know anything about Pastor John, you know that if, if it's not illegal or immoral, if someone challenges me on an area, I'm going to take them up on the challenge. God challenges us. Test me in this. Be givers and see if God doesn't bless you for doing that. Now, we're doing that as a church. It's wonderful. We have a whole bunch of people in this church that are a bunch of givers. Do you know that? It's amazing how faithful so many of you are to giving in obedience to what God's word says. I see it on a regular basis. And not only to your tithe, but when there's special needs, too. It's amazing. It's amazing how people just love to give in this church. You know, last Christmas, we did this box of Joash thing where we said, end of the year giving, if you have any extra end of the year thing you want to give, just put it in the box of Joash. And it didn't make a big deal. We just said that. And we paid off a third of a mortgage for our, this entire 10-acre property and all these buildings. A third of the mortgage was paid off uh, at the end of last year. We're going to do it again this year. We're going to surplus with the extra giving that's going on through this year. And I believe that by the end of this year, I'll be able to write another check that will pay off the entire rest of the mortgage and we'll be debt-free by January 2019. Wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't that be cool? And that's because of you guys' giving. It works. Uh, other situations, you know, we, you know, we did this missionary house, and we just announced that we're going to do a missionary house, a house of hospitality. You know, Francis and Susie are now living there for our missionaries from Trinidad. Just announced that. And a couple guys, after I shared about the missionary house, they, we wanted to bring in this new double or a double wide that would be a new house for a missionary house and do the work on everything else. Two individuals donated all the money to pay for that whole house. Just giving. And, and, and it's a blessing when you see that. I announced a few months ago that one of the sisters in our church, she needed a kind, kidney transplant, and uh, she didn't have the funds. She needed some funds in place for the kidney transplant to happen. I just announced that twice the amount of money that was needed for the kidney transplant, the funds she needed, was raised within a week. That's a giving church, and that's a healthy church, and that's a strong church. And again, Jesus said, it's more blessed to give and receive. And so let's be a healthy giving church. Amen? We'll move on now. <laughs> and it says this, uh, verse 5. Oh, by the way, too, there was accountability there in verses 3 and 4 with Paul also. He says, when I arrive, whomever you may approve, when you take these offerings, I'll send them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem. And if it is fitting for me to go also, they will go with me. Do you see what Paul's saying there? He's saying, in this giving thing, when I take up this offering and I bring it back to Jerusalem, I want one of your guys to go with me so I'm not holding the bag on myself and there's not accountability. And so that's good. We have that accountability here at this church too. We, I, in the last 20 years, 21 years of the existence of this church, I have never counted the offering. 
Even in the very beginning days when we started the church, we had brand new people. I found some ushers. They took care of it. I've never counted the offering because I want accountability, and I want to make sure there's several people that oversee what's going on with the finances. We do the same thing. We have two people count the offering in the office every Tuesday. We have, we have uh, uh, ushers that bring it to the safe and have accountability, never by themselves. Accountability is an important part of finances and giving also. We have a budget back there on the table that talks about line item by line item where the giving goes. And so there's accountability, and that's what Paul wanted also. Verse 5, but I will come to you after I go through Macedonia, for I'm going through Macedonia. This is 16.5. 6 says, and perhaps I will stay with you, even spend the winter, so that you may send me on my way wherever I may go. For I do not wish to see you now just in passing, for I hope to remain with you for what? Some time, if the Lord permits. Now I want you to see something here. Second thing Paul's saying about the church in Corinth He's just saying, I'm kind of stuck in Macedonia right now. The Lord has me doing ministry in Macedonia, but I want to come to you guys in Corinth. And I want to come to you where I'm not just flying through your town. I want to spend some time with you there. That's what he's saying. And not only do I want to spend some time with you, but I want to spend a whole winter with you. Here's the next principle that makes for a great, healthy, growing, strong church. Fellowship. Fellowship. You see what Paul's saying there is, I want to just hang out with you guys. I want to have time with you. Now, why is it fellowship important to being a healthy church and healthy Christians? Well, first of all, because it's commanded in Scripture, and it's exampled, is seen throughout Scripture, too. We're told in Acts 2.42, the New Testament church continually devoted themselves to, first of all, the apostles' teaching, which is the Word of God. But what's the second thing they continually devoted themselves to in the early church? Fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and prayer. They just spent time together. It was important to the point they continually devoted themselves to that. And later in Acts chapter 2, we're told that they not only continually devoted themselves to that, but they broke bread from house to house on a daily basis. Fellowship. Now question, why is fellowship important to being a healthy, growing church and healthy, growing Christians? I call it the principle of osmosis. You know what osmosis is? Is, is you take one thing, expose it to another thing, and then it transmits from this to this, and it actually, it penetrates what it's being exposed to. That's osmosis. And what happens with healthy Christians? Healthy Christians have fellowship with one another, and you become contagious. You start infecting somebody else with that healthy Christianity because of your contagious nature as a Christian. The Bible says two are better than one, and a cord of three strands is not easily broken. The Bible says we spur one another on in our fellowship to love and good deeds. Actually, another version says we stimulate one another to love and good works as we have fellowship with one another. It's key. You can't be a growing Christian and not spend time with other believers in close fellowship. I learned that. I remember I was going to my junior year in high school. I was at a gymnastics camp up in the Smoky Mountains. I had these Christians witnessing to me. And I finally... Went down to the river after they told me I needed to pray the sinner's prayer, admit my sin and trust Christ. And I went down to the river and I prayed. And then I went back to my high school, that junior year in high school, and I hung out with the same people, went to the same parties, did the same partying. My life didn't change at all. And same, same immorality I was involved in, all that stuff, it just went back to it. And then I got through that junior year, God started breaking me down. <laughs> He started, uh, I went through some trials. My dad was in the steep, in steeped in alcoholism. There was problems with my family, everything else. And then 
I had this brother start witnessing to me, and then a young life leader took me out to lunch, led me to Christ. I prayed the same sinner's prayer, but this time that young life leader got me in fellowship. <laughs> he started inviting me to the Monday night campaigners Bible study. Started going every Monday night. Started inviting me to Tuesday night club with all the teenagers. Started going to that. Started going to the retreats that young life have, and I started hanging out with these Christians. My whole friend group changed, and I started having fellowship. You know what happened? I changed. I repented. My whole life changed, because, and a big part of that was I was connecting in fellowship. As iron sharpens iron, so one man or some woman could sharpen one another. Fellowship, it's so important. And I tell you what, if you're not in close fellowship, you're not gonna be growing as a Christian. You're not gonna be changing as much, because we infect each other. We got great opportunities for fellowship around here. Where it seems like we're always eating around here. Don't call us Calvary Chapel, call us Calorie Chapel. Just kidding. But I mean, look at all the fellowship opportunities just to eat with one another. Wednesday nights, great food on Wednesday nights, by the way. You know, I, I, rumor on the street is, is we're actually going to do chicken Alfredo this Wednesday night. Bring it on. Saturday mornings, men, if you're not coming to the men's breakfast, you're missing out, man. I tell you, yesterday at men's breakfast, we had the best breakfast we've ever had. I think we had chocolate chip pancakes with homemade blueberry and strawberry syrups, and we had quiche. Listen, real men could eat quiche. We did. We had about 40-some of us yesterday eating quiche. And we had, like, cut-up sausages. And, man, it was, I, was, I went home, and I go, that's one of the best breakfasts I've ever had. Come on, join us this Saturday morning. 7.30, we eat together and we get the word together as men. And that fellowship, one of the reasons it's not just the food 40-some men come or 50-some men come every Saturday, it's because we spur one another on as men in fellowship. It's important. Fellowship's important. It'll change your life. It'll make you healthy, growing, strong, devoted to fellowship. Now it goes on, verse 8, but I'll remain in Ephesus until Pentecost, Paul speaking to the Corinthians, for a wide door for effective service has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Interesting. Wide door, effective service in Ephesus. And what's interesting to me is Paul says this wide door of effective service is also accompanied with many adversaries. And we know from the book of Acts that Paul stayed there serving the Lord in Ephesus for his longest period of time. He stayed for three years Three years in Ephesus. Wow. The only place he stayed anywhere close to that was Corinth, which he stayed for 18 months. Three years in Ephesus. Even though there was many adversaries. Now, that's important. And this is the next key for a healthy, growing Christian and church is this. Serving. Finding a door for you to go through where you could find your gift Find your calling, find what God's called you to do within the church of Jesus Christ, and start serving. Start serving. Well, I don't know what my gift is. I don't know what God's called me to do. I've said this before, I'll say it again. God can't move a parked car. Just start finding something to do, and God will confirm what He's called you to do. And there's many opportunities here at Calvary Chapel to serve, really. There's a lot of opportunities. There's opportunities within the youth ministry. There's opportunities within the kids' ministry. There's opportunities within the men's ministry. There's opportunities within uh, greeting out there, first touchers out there. There's opportunities with the ushers. We need more ushers. There's opportunities all over the place, opportunities for outreaches. We got every Saturday, there's a different outreach going on. You get jump in one of those things, get involved, and you'll find some effective service 
and a wide door to go through. But notice, even though there's adversaries, Paul kept serving. That's important. His last verse of the last chapter was, Therefore, my beloved brother, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil in the Lord is not in vain. Amen? So keep serving, even though there's adversaries. And listen, when you're really serving the Lord and making a difference like Paul was, you're going to get some adversaries. Why? Because Satan will not like your service because you're doing something for the kingdom of God. But don't quit even though there's some opposition because you're doing something for God. Right? All who live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Paul said that to Timothy. And I love that about Paul. He didn't quit. He didn't give up. He went through shipwrecks and stonings and beatings, imprisonments, died one time and came back, but he kept serving. I was reading this week a sad statistic. 1,500 pastors a month quit in the United States of America and churches across our land. 1,500 a month. And another statistic I read was the average pastor doesn't stay in a church longer than two years average. Why? Why are they quitting or why are they leaving and going to other churches? Because they get some opposition. There's some adversarial things going on. There's some committees that are giving a hard time. But that doesn't mean you just stop. You keep going. Keep serving. Even if there's some opposition. And listen, a lot of Christians will jump from church to church to church and church and never find a niche and never serve because they get their feathers ruffled over some people in conflict or whatever else. Don't stop serving even if there's some adversarial things going on. Keep serving. That's what Paul's given us an example of. Amen? It remains in Ephesus, even though there's a, a many adversaries, because a wide door for effective service is open up to him. Verse 10, now if Timothy comes... See that he is with you without cause to be afraid, for he is doing the Lord's work, as also I am. So let no one despise him, but send him on his way in peace, so that he may come to me, for I expect him with the brethren. Now, here's the other thing that's going on here. Paul is not able to come right now to the church in Corinth, but he's sending Timothy. Timothy was Paul's right-hand man. And he sends Timothy, and what does he say to the church in Corinth? Don't despise him. Now, why would they despise Timothy? Well, first of all, it was a tough church. It really was. Paul even had some issues in the church of Corinth to the point in the beginning of 1 Corinthians, I don't know if you remember or not, he said, hey, some of you are saying, I'm of Paul. Others are saying, I'm of Apollos. I'm of Cyphus. And what he was saying was, they didn't even receive Paul fully because they liked some other leaders besides Paul. And now Paul's sending Timothy. And Timothy, we know, is a young pastor. We know Paul said, hey, don't let people look down on your youth, Timothy, but prove to yourself to be an example. Another thing about Timothy was interesting was he had a spirit of timidity a little bit. He could have been called timidity instead of Timothy probably because Paul said in, in his letter to Timothy, he said, hey, don't have a spirit of fear but of power and love and discipline. And so now he's telling the church in Corinth, I'm sending you Timothy. Don't despise him. Don't look down upon him, but rather respect him. And honor him. And here's another principle that should be happening in our churches. Respect and honor for one another. Listen to some scripture on that. Romans chapter 12 verse 10 says, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Another version says in respect. 1 Peter 2.17, Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. 
honor the king. And then Jesus, golden rule, Matthew 7, 12 says, in everything, therefore, treat people the same way you'd want them to treat you, for this is the law and the prophets. See what's supposed to be happening in our fellowship with one another? Honor. Now, the word honor there could also not only be translated respect, it could be translated value. And as we interact with one another, for goodness sake, especially in the church, let's respect each other. Let's honor each other. Let's value each other. And let's remember to treat other people the way that you want them to treat you. Respect, honor should be flowing in our fellowship. Hmm. Verse 12, but concerning Apollos, our brother, I encourage him greatly to come to you with the brethren. It was not at all his desire to come now, but he will come when he has opportunity. Now look at this, verse 13. This is like a verse that should be on our refrigerators. Look what it says. Be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. I like that, ooh, be strong. And let all that you do be done in love. Here's what Paul's saying. Not only should we have a spirit of respect and honor for one another, but we should have the right attitude. And what's the attitude we're supposed to have as Christians in our fellowship? Be on the alert, man. Be on the alert for what? We studied it last week. Soon and very soon, we're going to see their king. We shouldn't be sleeping as Christians. We should be fully awake. Then he says, we should, in our, in our attitude, we should not only be on the alert for the soon return of Christ, but we should also be strong. Be strong. The Bible says in Philippians 4.13, one of the tenet verses of U-Turn for Christ is, hey, I can do all things through Christ who gives me what? Strength. And I like what Paul says there, too. He says, man up a little bit, church. Act like what? Act like men. Be strong and stand firm is what he's saying. Now, what does it mean to stand firm? It means you got your spiritual armor on, man. Ephesians 6 talks about this, too. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm. There it is again. Stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you'll be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to what? There's our attitude. Our attitude should be be on the alert. Rapture's right around the corner. Be strong. Act like men or act like godly women. (laughs) And stand firm, man. Again, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Stand firm. And how do we stand firm? Oh, by putting on the full armor of God, having our helmet of salvation on, assurance of salvation, having our breastplate of righteousness where we're living in obedience to God, having our sword of the Spirit, which is what? The Word of God actively flowing in our lives, having our loins pulled up and girded with truth, with the belt of truth. We're not living in deception and lies anymore. We're living in truth. Having our gospel boots on. What does that mean? We're going forward with the gospel and the message of the salvation and gospel of Jesus Christ. Have those things and stand firm in them. And then whatever you do, he says that our attitude should be an attitude of love. What's our greatest commandment? Love God and love people. That should be our attitude, an attitude of love. Put on love. The Bible says that our greatest commandment 
Again, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. This is the first and foremost command. Second's like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Even as I have loved you, you must also love one another. And by this, all men will know you're my disciples by the fact that you go to Calvary Chapel. Just making sure you're listening. All men will know you're my disciples by your love for one another. Let that mark your attitude. Have an attitude where you're standing firm, you're staying alert for the soon return of Christ, you're being strong, and you're, whatever you do, do it in love. Attitude of love. Can you get an amen on that, church? Amen. 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 Love. Let all that you be do, do be done in love. Now, verse 15, I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanus, that they were the first fruits of Achaia, and that they may have devoted themselves for ministry to the saints. Interesting that you also be in subjection to such men and everyone who helps in the work and the labor. I rejoice over the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaeus because they have supplied what was lacking in your part for they have refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore, listen, what does he say? Acknowledge such men. Now I want you to see here, these servants that Paul is referring to the church in Corinth, it says they were devoted to ministry. Interesting. Another version, I think King James Version, says they were addicted to ministry. They were servants of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they loved to serve, devoted and addicted to it. You know there's some positive addictions you could have? One of them is you're just zealous and addicted to just, you've got to do ministry. And listen to what Paul says about these servants. He says, church in Corinth, be subject to them. And not only be subject to them, acknowledge them. Here's another thing that's in place in a strong, healthy church. It's strong servant leadership that's being followed. You know why that's important? Because if there's not strong servant leadership that's being followed, the church is in chaos and it's in a constant power struggle and nothing gets done. But when God raises up strong servant leadership and then people are willing to follow that strong servant leadership, you start making headway and you start making a difference for the kingdom of God. And that's important. Now, don't follow anybody, but follow people that are servant leaders that are worthy to be followed. You know, Pastor Chuck taught us as, pastor, as uh, Calvary Chapel pastors, he said, guys, you shouldn't be hirelings. You should be shepherds, according to John chapter 10. And what's the difference between a hireling and a shepherd? A hireling is just doing it for a paycheck. A shepherd is doing it because he's guarding and protecting and feeding and taking care of the sheep, and he loves those sheep. And I remember Pastor Chuck always taught us, he said, serve your people well to the point that your people feel like they're the best loved, best fed people in their town, and God will bless and grow, and that'll be a strong church for Calvary Chapel. And it's true. So my job is to be a servant, to serve you all, and to feed you well, and to love you well, and then we're gonna make some headway as we go in that direction that God's leading us to go. You know what, it's so important too because we got some things to do for the kingdom here at Calvary Chapel. God's got a calling on this church and we're gonna see, I believe in this next school year, we're gonna see a lot of people come to Christ and a lot of people discipled, a lot of people serving, a lot of people getting involved with things, but we gotta, we gotta be going together, amen? We don't need to be in any kind of power struggles, we need to get the vision from God and then go forth with what God's called us to do with servants. 
And then it says in verse 19, the churches of Asia greet you, Aquila and Priscilla greet you, Aquila and Priscilla were fellow tent makers with Paul in Corinth that have now moved to Ephesus to do ministry with Paul in Ephesus. And they say, Aquila and Priscilla greet you from Ephesus heartily in the Lord with the church that's in their house. Interesting. Aquila and Priscilla now are serving Paul in Ephesus and opening up their house for the church there in Ephesus. All the brethren greet you. They greet one another with a holy kiss. The greeting is in my own hand. Now I want you to see something here, church. Five times in just these few verses, Paul's saying to the church in Corinth, greet, 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 greet. What does that tell us about a healthy church and the kind of church that Corinth should be and we should be? We should be greeting one another. We should be a hospitable church. We should be a church when people come on this campus, they get greeted. One of the worst things that can happen is when people visit Calvary Chapel, they walk through the doors, they come on the campus and they leave and no one says hi to them. A lot of churches operate that way. I just talked to somebody after the first service. They said they used to be a part of this denomination, but the last time they went to one of those main churches in that denomination, they came to church and they left that church and no one said a word to them. That's wrong. We're supposed to be hospitable. We're supposed to, when people walk through that door, come on that patio, come into this church, they, they get a greeting. They're loved. You say, hey, I'm John Hoppy, and what's your name? Glad you're at church this morning. God bless you. So much so, Paul said to the church there that, hey, not only greet them, but greet them with a holy kiss. Wow. All right, the Bible's infallible, it's inerrant, it's supposed to be applied and directed, so here's what we're gonna do. In the next minute, everybody that's around you, you're gonna give them a big, fat, wet one. No, just kidding. That's not what it's saying. Don't do that. No one will ever come back. What's it saying then? In that culture, the way they greeted one another, in that culture in the Mideast at the time, is men would come up to men on both sides of their cheeks. To this day, you go to Italy, and the men will greet each other, same kind of thing. I'll never forget when I taught this at our last church in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, we had, half the church was college students, and there, a lot of those college students were good friends of mine, and I remember I was, I was explaining the holy kiss in the end of 1 Corinthians, and I was, I, was, I, was, I was greeting people after the service at the front of the sanctuary, and I was talking to a brand new person who had just started visiting at our church up there in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, and as I did it, two guys, I'll never forget, it was Chad and Andy Lasivich, and they're big college students, and they came up to me on the side as I'm talking to this new person, and they Bam, right in front of this new person came big, fat kisses right on the side of Pastor John's cheeks. I'm saying, this, ma'am, this normally doesn't happen at this church. <laughs> and I'll never forget that. But, but listen, it's not saying we're all supposed to be kissing each other and greeting each other. Okay, it's, in that culture, that was the way of greeting one another. In this culture, it's a holy handshake or maybe a holy side hug. And that's just being affectionate and greeting and hospitable. Amen? So next week, don't come kissing everybody, all right? But be greeting one another in love. And we'll close up the chapter, and we'll close 1 Corinthians. And it says, if anyone does not love the Lord, he is to be accursed. Maranatha, Maranatha, interesting word. It means, Lord, come quickly. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love, again, my love be with you all in Christ Jesus. And what does Paul say? Amen. All right, last ingredient in the healthy church is we should be people of grace. Again, we should be people of love. 
but very important. Listen, church, listen. We should be people of truth that have the audacity to tell a lost world and people out there what the truth of Jesus Christ is. We sang it this morning, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And we need to be bold in our declaration of truth if we're gonna be a healthy church. Why is that important? Because a lot of churches aren't basing what they do on truth. How do I know that? I grew up in a church like that. I went to a progressive liberal church in Chicago growing up and they didn't tell us the truth. I remember sitting in this church as a Sunday school kid in children's ministry. In Sunday school we sat in a circle and our Sunday school teacher told the 12 of us or whatever were in that circle, whispered in the ear of the first person a story and then we had everybody whisper around the circle the same story and then the Sunday school teacher said, okay, first person, tell what the story is. Last person, tell what the story is. And you know what happened? The story was totally different and then that Sunday school teacher told that whole circle of us Sunday school kids, that's the way the Bible is. It's been passed down through the ages, so it's just legend. It's, it's not, you can't base everything on it because you know, over hundreds of years, it's been changed like it's corrupted or something. First of all, that Sunday school teacher didn't know what she was talking about. You know, my training, theological training stuff, I've studied what scribes did in the manuscripts through the centuries, and they were responsible, the Jewish scribes, if they missed a comma, they'd have to tear up the scroll and start all over again. It's impeccable. It's wrong, but also wasn't the truth. You know, and I remember growing up in that progressive liberal church that didn't tell us the truth, and I remember seeing no one's life was being changed because no one was being told the truth. I remember as a kid saying, this is a colossal waste of time. I hated church. Didn't want to go. I'd get dragged there by my parents, but I didn't want any part of it. But then I got in high school, and I got around some Christians that believed in the authority of God's word whose lives had been changed. And I had this one guy especially that every day he'd walk home with me from school. For six months I became his project, and he told me the truth. He told me, I'll never forget, he told me, he said, John Hoppy, if you don't receive Christ as your Savior and Lord, you're going to go to a place called hell, and you'll be there for the rest of eternity. And I didn't like him, because that made me uncomfortable. And I remember he told me day after day the truth that I didn't need to confess Jesus is my Lord and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, and he gave me scripture. And I pushed it away. I remember one time I finally said to him, I said, listen, listen, just stop telling me this stuff because I'm a Christian. I go to this church and everything else. I'm fine. Just leave me alone. And I'll never forget. You've heard this before, but I'll, I'll share with you again. He looked me right in the face and he said to me, you're not a Christian, John Hobby, because you wouldn't be living the way you're living if you were really a Christian saved. I said, wow. And it struck me to the core of my soul, to the point, because he told me this truth. Within a month of that, I came to Christ and gave my life to Jesus. It's almost 40 years ago. And I thank God that he had the audacity to tell me the truth. And what is Paul saying to the Corinthians right there in those last verses? He says, if anyone does not love the Lord, he's accursed. What does accursed mean? It's the, the word is anathema. It means damned to hell. Now, we're to tell people the truth with grace. We're to tell people the truth with love. We're not to be a Bible thumper that's just beating people over the head with the Bible. We're to be doing it in a gracious and a loving way. But for goodness sake, church, 
Let's tell people the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help us God. Amen? That's a part of being a healthy, strong church is we're not ashamed of this gospel because it's the power of God for salvation to whoever believes, Romans 1.16. Don't be ashamed of it. It saved you. Stand on it and believe in it and tell the people the truth. So what did we learn about this morning, the importance and ingredients that will make up a healthy, growing, strong church? The church in Corinth is supposed to be and we're supposed to be too. Number one, a healthy, good church is going to be a giving church. Number two, we saw this morning also that not only are we going to be a giving church, but we're to be a fellowshipping church. I like that. We're to be a serving church, a church full of people that even if there's adversarial things going on, if there's opposition, we keep serving. Number four, we're to be a church that shows respect and honor to one another. That's important that we honor those that are around us. Number five, we're to have the right attitude. What's the right attitude? An attitude that's alert, that's strong, that's, that's waiting for the soon return of Christ, right? And we're strong, we're standing firm, and we're doing everything we do in love with an attitude of love. Number six, we're to be... We're to be a church that has strong servant leadership and we're going forward with that leadership. Number seven, we're a church that greets, that shows affection and love. And lastly, we're to be a church, please, we're to be a church that's based on the truth of God's word, has a respect for the authority of what this book says, and we're not afraid to share with authority the truth of what we've learned in this book. Amen? Man, let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word, God, this morning. Thank you that your word is a lamp onto our feet and a light onto our path, God. Thank you that your word helps us to know what we believe and to live what we believe, God. And Father, help us to be a church that's a healthy, growing, strong church because we're living out these principles we've learned this morning that Paul shared with the Corinthians in his final instructions. Help us to be a church that's a giving church, Lord. Help us to be a church that's a a fellowshipping church, Help us to be a church that's a serving church, Lord, even when there's adversary and opposition. Help us to be a church, too, Father, that shows respect and honor towards one another. Help us to be a church, Lord, with the right attitude, on the alert, standing firm, being strong, having an attitude of love, God. Help us to be a church that's based on servant leadership and going forward with the leadership you've called. Help us to be a church that's a loving church, Lord, that is a greeting church and a hospitable church, Lord. When people come here, Lord, may they sense your love and your acceptance and your hospitality here, Lord. And Father, I pray too that we'd be a church that has the audacity to tell people the truth in love and in grace, God. Thank you so much for your word, Lord. And I'm looking forward to starting 2 Corinthians next week, Lord, where we learn about comfort, you being the God of all comfort, and that even when we face affliction, Lord, you could give us comfort in the midst of that affliction, Lord. I pray, Lord, that we would be people that continue just to hunger for your righteousness and your truth. And I pray for our church, Lord, that we continue to be a church that's doing things for the kingdom of God and making a difference as your body and your bride in this world, Lord. Father, thank you for the privilege of serving you and being steadfast and movable, always abounding and work for you, Lord. Father, we know that our toil is not in vain. And Father, I pray that you give us this next year the ability to do some great things for your kingdom, God. And we pray these things in Jesus' name and all of God's people said. Amen. Amen. Let's stand, church. God bless you, church.